With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Andy Metz. I am joined once again tonight by Steve Fetch. How are you doing tonight, Fetch? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So it's been a really crazy weekend for pretty much everyone related to the world of sports. Um, obviously, you know, Kansas barely beating Kansas State. And then uh, I'd say was probably the craziest NFL game I've ever seen with uh, the Vikings getting the last minute win against the Saints. And then, you know, Kansas finishing off the weekend for us with a, a huge win over West Virginia last night. So what was your uh, craziest part of the weekend for you? Well, I, uh, I am a Vikings fan. So um, probably that, you know, um, obviously, you know, first of all, I'm going to apologize for my voice being pretty shot uh, between, you know, not, not so much Saturday in the K-State game because I was pretty confident in them winning, but definitely the last two nights and, and especially during that Vikings game. On Sunday, there was a lot of yelling, so my voice is pretty tired out. Um, so, not not to turn this into a into a football podcast, but yeah, I mean that was the that was the craziest for me. I mean, Vikings fans are are pretty used to uh, being on the other end of plays like that. From, uh, I mean, this is before my time, but the Drew Pearson hail mary for the Cowboys and and Gary Anderson's missed field goal in the '99 NFC title game and. Uh, Bounty Gate and and uh, you know Brett Favre's interception in the 2009 NFC title game and then I mean even Sunday with the uh, the comeback and and uh, our starting safety getting taken out by a, a dirty hit and and the block punt and everything it was kind of a here we go again type thing and then the you know they pull it off on the last play so uh, it's pretty wild um, I think I've watched the play about a thousand times already not even exaggerating so. <laughs> That was that was probably the craziest uh, thing of the weekend for me. But um, you know, I mean, KU talk about talk about crazy. I mean, two you know single digit wins again, and and Bill Self and and the Jayhawks just keep getting it done. Yeah, yeah. So speaking about getting it done, the first uh, you know starting off with that that game against Kansas State on Saturday, and you know, yeah, they were able to win, but I, I don't think anyone who watched that game felt really confident about this team. Um, Kansas had a lot of problems with with Kansas State. Uh, I, I guess I kind of nailed it in in my prediction, saying that Kansas, you know, I guaranteed three things was, you know, one that that KU was going to win it, um, that Kansas State was going to keep it a lot closer than they should, and that and that Bruce Pearl, I'm sorry, why did I say Bruce Pearl, Bruce Weber, <laughs> he uh, was going to have something to complain about with the rest afterwards, and that was going to be the reason supposedly that they lost it. You know, I, I, uh, I, I got that three for three. I was a little surprised with just how close it was. I thought KU would end up pulling away a little bit at the end. Um, but what was like your main takeaway from that game? Or were you really concerned with the way that it, that it, that it went? Or is this just another example of K-State somehow managing to play KU close? You know, it's, it's kind of funny because the whole game I was thinking, oh, you know, Kansas will win. No, Kansas will win. I'm not worried. And I, I really wasn't worried the whole game. And then you look up with, uh, you know, four minutes left or, or whatever it was, and, and they were behind. And, and uh, you know, I think they were, yeah, they were down three with like three and a half minutes left, and it was kind of nip and tuck there for the final few minutes of the game. And, and it was all of a sudden like, oh, my God, are they going to lose this game? But, um, you know, one thing that that'll, will tie into to West Virginia and just probably a point to make overall, it's just – uh, KU is so good in these close games, um, and you know Bill Self continues to just put on a coaching clinic against these other coaches in the Big 12. And um, you know every every time this happens uh, with you know any team in the country, I mean there's a big thing with Maryland winning a bunch of close games and stuff. And um, you know it's how much of it is luck and how much of it is skill and all this stuff. And 
certainly I think a lot of it is, you know, luck or small sample size or, or what have you. I mean, I think Kansas probably isn't going to keep doing this forever, obviously. But um, I think some of it is just, you know, uh, Kansas is generally, you know, more talented than the teams they're playing. And so the skill is going to win out. Uh, some of it is you get used to playing in these close games and you get used to the environment and used to the pressure. And then some of it too, I think is, is, you know, preparation and coaching. And, you know, you saw it down the stretch of that uh, K-State game where uh, final possession, you know, KU's first couple, uh, uh, well, first of all, you know, it started out with K-State not taking a, a two for one opportunity when they had the opportunity to, um, Kansas comes down in their possession, uh, you know, the first two looks that they wanted got shut down and then, you know, Malik Newman knew to, to go make a play and go to the rim and, and he made the two key free throws. Uh, and then you come down at the other end and, and not only does KU know exactly what play that K-State's going to run, but, you know, K-State takes forever walking the ball up, uh, didn't have a counter, uh, for if K, uh, KU knew the play and everything. And it was just, you know, KU can consistently get really good shots uh, in the last four or five possessions of the game and can consistently keep the other team from doing so. So um, whether that's great coaching or, or KU just, you know, having the ability to to show up when, uh, you know, the other team doesn't on the stretch or, or what have you, um, it's just consistently been happening for the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, I mean – they have been phenomenal in the in the close games. The one thing I will kind of say though, and and we've kind of talked about this a lot, is that um, you know we saw in that Kansas State game the 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 guy that I think we've decided is kind of the the bellwether or the X factor for this team um, in in Svi. You know he did not have really a good game at all. He ended up playing 37 minutes against K State, but only scored 11 points. Uh, was only one of five from two point range. He he did hit three of his six three attempts. Uh, but he didn't really contribute much else, um, you know. So he he didn't really have that great of a game, and and we've we've kind of noticed, you know, the games that are closer than they should be, or where Kansas doesn't really play very well, it seems to be because Sveig just can't can't get it going at all. Um, I didn't really remember though too many like boneheaded defensive plays or or bad offensive plays that he had, like like we had noted in you know that that Iowa State game, but. Uh, you know, do you do you think there's really anything still to that 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 Sfi is kind of the, I guess sets the tone for this team, and if he's not on, then then they're going to have a tough night, or is it kind of just been coincidence these these last few games? Well, you know, I've always thought that. I mean, Azubuki is our most important player um, for sure, and I think we saw that last night in the West Virginia game. Um, as far as an X factor thing goes, yeah, I mean, I think you know some combo of Sfi and Vic where if, if they give you one of those explosions, um, it's such a, a big help. And both of them have the, the skills and ability um, to do so. Uh, with Spee, I mean, you know, defensively, um, he didn't really – so he was guarding Dean Wade a lot, which was uh, just kind of a bad matchup. I mean, Dean Wade was able to kind of push him around a little bit and, um, you know, did a pretty good job knocking down those open jumpers and stuff. And uh, Spee did a lot better job, um, ironically, against uh, – um, Javon Carter last night, which is uh, pretty nuts considering he's, you know, one of the better players in the Big 12. Yeah. But his length, his length, you know, um, I made the point in the recap that, you know, his length isn't great in terms of like NBA draft stuff, but he's still, you know, six seven, six eight, And so that's going to bother a guy like Carter more than it's going to bother a guy like Dean Wade. So, um, you know, definitely not uh, his best game, but you know, you can erase a lot of mistakes by making three or six threes, uh, and that's what he did. And, I mean, that's kind of, you know, Graham erased a lot of his mistakes by going four of eight from three. You know, Vic didn't have a great game, but he was two of three from three. So, you know, if you can if you can make your open threes, uh, you know, a lot of those mistakes are, are definitely um, glossed over. Um, so, uh, you know, with Svee, I mean – I, I I still don't really know what to make of him, to be honest with you. Um, he, I think he just kind of is what he is, where he's going to, you know, make a lot of threes, and then you hope to kind of get the rest of the package. And, you know, he, for the most part, delivered it uh, last night against West Virginia, other than a couple of crappy turnovers, and, and for the most part didn't really deliver it against K-State, but uh, it didn't matter, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, he's he's been shooting about well, he's been shooting fifty percent on his threes in the last 
see is it all three of the games uh no he shot even better in, in against Iowa State but uh but yeah I mean he was three for six in both of these last last two games so you know he's been getting that that consistent three-point uh shot that we've been you know needing from him but yeah last time he definitely did a lot better on defense I think than than uh, he had been doing. So that was definitely a huge improvement. But uh, we'll actually get to that West Virginia State game here and specifically in just a minute. But was was, was there anything else from that K-State game that kind of jumped out to you? Um, you know, Ken, Ken Palm has Azubuke as the MVP of that game, which I think I have to agree with. You know, I mean, he played 32 minutes. He only scored 18 points compared to Graham's 23. But, you know, he was 8 of 9 on his two-pointers. He had made, made two of his three foul shots. Um had eight rebounds and five blocks. So, I mean, he definitely was a, was a huge presence in that game against Kansas state. Um, but, but anything else that, that you kind of took away from that game or you wanted to highlight? Um, well, I mean, other than, you know, you're right. As was just uh, a menace down low. And, and I definitely think that, I mean, Kansas, uh, I'm, I'm Mr. Three, but I definitely think that Kansas needs to get him the ball down low uh, whenever possible. I mean, especially if he's going to be, you know, unable to play a ton because of either, you know, lack of being able to get up and down the floor or fouls. Um, they need to maximize his impact when he's in and, and get him the ball for as many shots as possible. But um, I think the other the other thing was just, um, you know, I thought this was going to maybe be a game where obviously this was Silvio D'Souza's first, uh, or DeSosa, sorry, uh, his first uh, game action. Um, kind of thought this would be maybe a time for him to play a little bit. Um, he only had four minutes. Uh, Sam Cunliffe came in and, and uh, you know, missed a shot and, uh, you know, only got four minutes. And, and Mitch Leifert only got four minutes. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, I can't really figure out, you know, why Bill Self doesn't want to play Sam Cunliffe. I think he's looked fine and, and brought energy. And, you know, uh, again, not to bring up the West Virginia game again, but he got a DNP in that one. So, um some of the depth issues are there, but I mean, I think some of them are a little bit overblown. Um, I'm not going to, I've, I've learned uh, a long time ago not to really, you know, question who Bill Self plays and why, but uh, it seems to me if they're, you know, really aching for depth that they have a, a pretty good guy on the bench and Sam Cunliffe who can at least give you, you know, 10 or 15 minutes a game and, and some energy and some threes. But those, that was kind of the, you know, the thing that stood out to me is, is, you know, specifically with the Sosa, I wish he would have, you know, he he didn't really handle his time in there super well, obviously. But I wish he would have been able to to get ten or fifteen minutes of playing time. Yeah, I mean, and and I think given the fact that the game was a lot closer than we really thought it was going to be, I think that had a lot to do with why DeSosa didn't get very many minutes. Um, yeah, you know, we we completely blew right past that story like it's old news. Um, DeSosa was cleared on Saturday morning to be able to play. Um, you know, he did only get four minutes of action in that in that first game. Uh, the only thing that he uh, recorded in the box score was one turnover and then one foul. Um, so, yeah, he didn't really have a great outing. And, you know, uh, other people have commented already that, uh, you know, he, he looked pretty good defensively at times, but uh, on, on offense he was just completely lost. He, he definitely did a lot better of that in that West Virginia game. But, you know, I, I don't know that I have necessarily have a problem with it in his first action in a game that was a lot closer than we expected him not really getting an opportunity to get a bunch of minutes and, and, and make an impact. Um, especially when Azubuke was just tearing it up and, you know, at this point without him having a lot of time with the team and, and getting used to that rotation, that didn't really seem like a good spot to try to get two big men on the floor when we haven't really done that at all, all year long. So I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not really too concerned with it. Um, I, I will agree with you. I was a little surprised that, uh, Cunliffe only got four minutes. The only thing I can think of there, again, is just the fact that he hasn't gotten a lot of time with the team yet. Um, and with games being a little closer than we really have anticipated, Self seems a little hesitant to, to really trust him in big-time big, big time situations when he has had a, a few hiccups here and there. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, at this point, we can't really complain too much about the depth anymore. Uh, just because you know the the depth issues that we're having now seem to be more self-inflicted than than just not having the guys. We do have nine nine guys officially now that can play, and we can expect to be able to to give us some good minutes. Um, you know, if if self can't find a way to work them in and, and can't trust them to be able to to contribute the way that we really need them to, then that 
at least he has to take some of the blame for that other than just not having guys. So, um, but of course everything seemed to work out really well. Um, we'll move on to that West, that, that, that West Virginia game. Now, you know, it could not have started out worse. I don't think, um, West Virginia got, got some really quick baskets. Um, the first, I think it was the first three attempts that we had were blocked. It just was not a very good start. Um, KU was able to get on a nice quick run to, to, you know, take a quick lead. But then West Virginia just built out a huge lead to start out with Kansas playing absolutely horribly. Um, you know, I, I don't think all of that was Kansas playing bad. There was definitely some 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 home cooking going on there. Um, there was some some really bad calls first half there. But you know, I don't know that you can expect West Virginia to not get those those sorts of calls. Um, was was there any other than the the technical? Because I think we've already kind of talked about that to death. Um, was there any kind of play that just really stood out to you as an absolute horrible call in that in, in that first half, or or was it just your normal like home home court advantage. Yeah, I think when you're when you're playing in West Virginia, you just kind of have to realize that the refs are going to swallow the whistle for them a bit, and their plan on defense is to commit a hundred fouls in a game and hope that they only get called for twenty of them. Um, which which worked I, really well in the first half. I mean, right, and and I think Kansas did a pretty good job uh, withstanding that. They only turned it over on. Um, 19% of their possessions, which is really low against a West Virginia team. And it was really all in that first half and, and all kind of in that first little, you know, 10, 15 minute stretch of the first half. So I think that they did they, uh, a pretty good job weathering that storm. And like you said, the the technical call was ridiculous. And, and for the record, I thought the one uh, against K-State was ridiculous as well. So yeah, yeah, definitely, I'm definitely consistent on that, Mark. I think, you know, let the let the kids play basketball. I mean, when um, Konate blocked, I can't remember who it was, but he was basically, you know, standing there like he was, you know, Jesus on the cross and, you know, pumping up the, the crowd and stuff and he didn't get a tee. And I thought that was great. I mean, you know, it should be, it should be fun. Right. I mean, it's basketball. Right. So, yeah, I, I um, think that was after the two handed block against Svee when Svee just drove in there and tried to do a one handed slam over him. And he just went up with both hands and almost like it was a volleyball you know, play right. like went up and, and two hand rejected and then, and then pumped up the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that one was, that was, uh, that technical was, was kind of ridiculous. You know, it's not like, I mean, really all Asabuke did was look at the guy and he was obviously, I mean, it, it seemed pretty obvious to me that he was fouled on that play when he made the dunk, the guy's hand was all in his face, like literally on top of his face, if you look at it and they didn't right. call anything. And then to tee him up after he, you know, he, all he did was look at the guy. He didn't say anything. Like his mouth didn't move at all, um, just absolutely ridiculous. You know, the the one against K State was kind of the same thing. Is regardless of what he said at that point, you know, he's facing his own teammate. He made a gesture like you know it was a celebration. He was he was pumping up his own guy. He didn't say anything to anyone else. Um, you know, I think in general the the rest have been way too quick to try to defuse situations that don't need it this year. Um, you know, I, I don't think really there's any other way to explain it. Is that you know they just they were expecting there to be bad blood, expecting there to be a big problem. And, and so they, they called something quickly to try to defuse it, but they were never really in that kind of situation to begin with. Uh, the only other call that kind of jumped out to me that was really questionable. There was um, in, in that first half, you know, they, they broke the press and Sveig caught the ball. And before he even got a chance to land, Javon Carter slipped underneath him, uh, you know, like while he was in the air and they called Z for the travel there when he was clearly, clearly fouled by Carter and and they got away with it. I think that's the only one that really jumped out to me as like a really, really bad call. Um, but, you know, there was, there was borderline calls all night long. And luckily for the guys, they were able to kind of overcome that and not use that as an excuse and, and come out good in the second half. But, uh, um, you know, I just, uh, unfortunately, I think you're right that that's kind of the way that West Virginia plays. We've, we've had discussions in the past about how that, that style of play is just really horrible to watch because, you know, there's, there's things that any other team that doesn't have that reputation wouldn't be able to get away with, and, and they're able to just really hack everybody. Um, and, and the rest just get tired of trying to call it all, so they just let it go. Right. And I think the other one, too, that, I mean, obviously this wasn't a bad call, but, you know, when Azubuki got a second foul, um, it was, you know, a little bit, a little ticky-tack, and uh, they took him out, and, and I – they probably shouldn't have taken him out. Um, I mentioned in the recap that 
uh, CJ Moore from the athletic and, and from the podcast, uh, the KC star podcast with Jesse right. um, tweeted out that he was a plus 22 and, and single game plus minus is obviously, you know, not the greatest in the world, but just goes to show you that they were um, killing him with, with Azubuki in the game. And, you know, he's just, uh, it, I mean, I don't even really have the words to describe how good he's been this year. A lot of the oh, time. Yeah. Um, so that was a big one for, for, Kansas and really uh, directly contributed to West Virginia's big lead. And, and I definitely thought at halftime that Bill Self sitting him down for most of the first half kind of was like waving the white flag and, and lost the game. But um, it obviously worked out for him. And, and he came back in and even though he fouled out, he was able to, to play well in those stretches. And, and that was, um, you know, another kind of thing that they had to overcome. So I, I thought that, you know, a couple of them were, you know, stupid fouls. He had the one 90 feet from their own basket and um, had the one where I think he was diving after a ball. But, you know, for the most part, they were um, or. Well, no, actually. The, the technical. And, oh, yeah, you're right. He didn't get one on that one. Right, but, right. I thought they were going to call him for a foul on that one, but they let that play out. I was I was really happy to see that they let that play out because normally right. the minute it goes to the ground, you know, and someone jumps on top of another player, they call a foul immediately, even though the ball has been secured at that point. And right. you know, I was I was happy to see them let that one play out. You know, I thought overall that that second half was was better officiated. I don't think it was perfect by any means. But, you know, it it looked like they finally got to the point where they said, okay, well, if we're going to let West Virginia get away with all of this, we're just going to let the game go. You know, we're going to let people be physical. We're going to let them get after each other. And as long as it's not an egregious foul, then we're not going to call it, which evened it up, you know, allowed Kansas to do a lot more than I think they were able to do in the first half and did make it easier. But, you know, I actually thought three of those fouls that were called against uh, against Azubuke were were not good at all. Obviously, the technical that one where he picked up his second. Yeah, it looked like they both got tangled up with each other, and there wasn't really a whole lot there. And then there was another one. It was, a, again, on a rebound where, you know, they, him and, and Kanate, I believe, had had each – basically both had a forearm to the other guy's throat as they were trying to box each other out because they both just went up high. And they called a, a foul on, on Asabuke there. I believe that was his fourth at that point. Um, so, yeah, he, he was a obviously – you know, the, the victim of some poor officiating there. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that I can say with any certainty that it was a mistake to hold him out after that second foul. I mean, obviously, it's it's hard to say just because they were able to overcome it and win. Um, but, you know, I, I would buy the argument that they probably should have thrown him back out there in the first half to try to keep it closer. Um, but, you know, given how, you know, that he did foul out and how quickly he picked up number three, you know, maybe that ended up being the right move. You know, there, there's no way that I can say that, you know, maybe they would have kept it within 10 at halftime. But, uh, you know, he gets that third foul, like, right before the half. And then and then in the second half, we don't have him for those critical stretches where we needed him. So, you know, I, I have a hard time faulting Bill Self for sticking with that philosophy of, you know, pulling him out and, and just going with it, especially since we've seen how tough this team can be now. Um, you know, I think this gives me even more confidence in him doing something like that in the future, knowing – what this team can do, knowing how he can get that out of his guys, you know, and, and knowing what he knows about how this team is working. Um, it, it's really frustrating because, yeah, it did look like he kind of gave up, but but ultimately it ended up working out, and I think there was a little bit more, more to it than we were, you know, really really going at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy as a fan when stuff isn't going well and you're down by that. You know, it's like, well, we got to throw everything at it, but there are, there are times where maybe it's kind of like just weather the storm and – and then come out fresh with a new half and see where we can go. Um, it, it worked for us this time. I was completely shocked that it worked because, again, you know, with how far down we were with only like eight minutes left to go, um, this wasn't quite as miraculous of a, of a comeback in terms of time-wise as that last game against West, West Virginia in Allen Fieldhouse last year. But I think it was just as impressive given the fact that they were in West Virginia. You know, they had turned the ball over so many times in the first half. They were having so many problems with, with foul calls and all of that, and yet they were still able to battle back and, and go ahead and win that game. So, um, and, and Any other thoughts on, on that West Virginia game? Uh, boy, where I mean, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> um, I figured you had some more, but I, I thought I'd right. let you kind of direct right. that conversation. So I definitely think, you know, points about the refs aside, I mean, I, I hate talking about refereeing, but obviously you have to when it comes to West Virginia and the style they play. Um, other than that, I just think, again, um, as a bookie, five of five, 
seven defensive rebounds. Did a really good job on the defensive glass. Kansas did a pretty good job on the defensive glass overall. West Virginia grabbing, you know, 37% of their misses, which is about their season average, which I was kind of thinking they would have to hold them to lower than that to win the game, but they did a really good job there. I think it's fair to, to point out again, uh, like I did in the recap, that they maybe got a, a little bit lucky in terms of West Virginia shooting just 18.5% from three, five to 27. Yeah. Um, some of that obviously is, is KU forcing tough looks. I mean, that's that's definitely part of it, especially late when West Virginia had to jack up some threes that were ill-advised and guarded and deep and everything like that. But some of it is, is definitely luck. But I guess on you know on the same token, Kansas uh, was 35% from three, which is lower than I would have expected they would have shot, especially considering they got more open looks than than West Virginia did. But I don't think that it would be fair to say that the defense is fixed, especially considering they allowed West Virginia to shoot 57% on twos, which is kind of the thing that the off or that the defense can control more. And like I made the the point in the recap, um, teams that hit the glass as much as, as West Virginia do kind of have their two point shooting totals uh, artificially inflated, just because you get so many putbacks and. Um, sometimes you'll you know you'll miss a three and get an offensive rebound off a three and then make a two and so that really impacts your numbers but I don't know how much that was in play um, last night so something to to watch going forward Kansas's defensive issues certainly are not fixed but um, I definitely think that it was it was a step forward they made West Virginia look uh, work hard to to get their jumpers. Um, they did a really good job adjusting to their their screen actions in the second half, switching a lot more, which uh, really seemed to confuse them and kind of forced West Virginia to go into a little bit more one-on-one hero ball mode, which just isn't really their game. Um, they're not the, the smoothest offensive team as is, and when you get into a bunch of one-on-one battles, uh, definitely a big advantage. Kansas there, so... Um, those are kind of the, the two main takeaways. I guess I guess the the one other one too is obviously you know Canate uh, had eight blocks or uh, five blocks, excuse me, in the game, and I believe all five in the first half. And um, after about the third uh, one where he blocked a dunk, Jesse tweeted something to the effect of you know what's the the definition right. of insanity again. Um, but I I actually you know and I'm the one who you know goes crazy at. Kansas when they'll go in at these shot blockers rather than taking the open threes. I actually kind of liked it uh, just because of the way that West Virginia plays. and Part of their big thing is um, making you afraid and making you intimidated and, and making you back down and stuff. And Kansas did a, a pretty good job of making it known that that just wasn't going to happen. And, you know, when they didn't go away in the second half there, I think that that kind of Played in the back of uh, West Virginia's head, and and even though the the threes didn't really fall till late, they did a, a good enough job inside, and and you know made just enough um, from deep to to get it done. Yeah, you know, and, and and honestly, I was not happy about the fact that they kept going inside, but it did set up quite a bit in that second half because there I, I counted at least two times where you know they went up to the for the dunk and Kanate went over to do the block. And they dished the ball off to someone else real quick who could then go up from the other side. Um, so the fact that they kept challenging him in the first half and he got so used to, you know, uh, feeding off of that and getting those blocks and trying to fire up the crowd, he overplayed his hand a couple times in that second half and it led to easy buckets. Um, you know, there was specifically the one where, you know, they lobbed it up and then Azubuke slammed it in. Another one where he just, you know, reached around and, and handed it to him off around Kanate as well. So, yeah, it was definitely an an effective strategy to get him set up with that. And while he, he completely dominated them in the first half, you know, they were able to use that and use his over eagerness to continue that when things started going wrong for West Virginia, to turn that into more points, turn that into more problems for them, which caused West Virginia to have to think about it later. So, um, you know, it definitely did stifle what West Virginia was trying to do in that second half. Um, You know, and, and I mean, they still had to think about it because Kansas had gone so hard to the rim so many times. It's not like they could just say, okay, well now they're going to go ahead and play off of it because we had seen them do that so many times, continue going in even after it was clear that they weren't going to be super successful with it. So uh, it just added another layer. Um, you know, Bill Self was, was really playing the long game with the way that he was 
coaching that that game and it while it was super frustrating to watch it was it was definitely very effective and it worked out for us in the end you know i, I don't know that i want him to repeat a, a performance like that i really don't want to have to deal with the uh you know how low that first half was in order to get to that second half but but you know it, it is a good way to get a, a a good win so um you know the other the other point that kind of really stuck out to me was was just how well KU played defense on Javon Carter. You know, he he was only two for seven from two point and and two of eight from three point. He made all four of his free throws, but you know he didn't really do a lot offensively. He he had a good offensive rating uh, at 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 one hundred six. Well, a, a decent offensive rating at one hundred six. He had he did have four assists. Um, you know, so I mean he 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 played pretty well. But a guy like Javon Carter, you expect him to do a lot more. You expect him to shoot a lot better. I thought Svi did a, a pretty good job on him on, on defense when he got switched onto him. Uh, Graham, Graham did pretty well when he was, when he was working with him, but I didn't really notice one guy that was shadowing Carter for most of the game. You know, they seemed to do really well. Whoever ended up getting on him of, of sticking with him and making sure he couldn't get off a lot of open shots. What, what, what were your thoughts on the way that that defense did work, especially on a guy like Carter? Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. They did a really good job. Even the, the two threes that he made were right in Svi's face where, he did a really good job challenging him, and, and he just made him. And that's one of those things where you just kind of, you know, tip your cap, tip your cap to him, and say congrats. But I think he he kept it up. He kept crowding him. Didn't really let him get that uh, step back three that he likes to go to. Did a really good job of of turning him into a mid range jump shooter where he's just not as efficient. Um, you know, shoots right around the same um, percentage from from two and th- and uh, three. So. Uh, that's something that uh, really helped turn those turn those threes into into twos and take away a point every time he makes one. So they did a really good job there. Obviously, you know the four assists to one turnover is something that is just going to happen. Four assists is is not a lot, quite frankly, but I think a lot of that was due to the the team defense in the second half, where they did a really good job of switching those screens and, and made West Virginia a lot more stationary on offense and made them either take those kind of pull-up threes or just drive a straight line to the basket, which isn't really their game. So overall, I, I think the, the game plan was good. Um, some of it was, again, you know, allowing 57% from two. It really didn't doesn't really seem like it was uh, that bad when I'm, you know, remembering the game. But I guess, again, a lot of that is from putbacks and stuff where their two-point percentage gets inflated a little bit more. So um, the optimist view, I guess, is that maybe they turned the corner a little bit here and, and learned how to defend and stuff. And they've always kind of kind of had it uh, where late in these games they're they've been able to to knuckle down. You saw it against K State. You saw it here against West Virginia, where late in games when they need to expend all that energy that they've stored up, they can they can do it and buckle down for a possession. But hopefully, they can kind of do it for longer stretches going forward here. Yeah. Well, and you know they. They did give up that 57% from two, but, you know, Kanade was seven of 10 from in close. And, and yeah, a couple of those were putbacks. Issa Ahmad as well was, uh, he was four of five from close. So, I mean, those, those were two guys that got in, got in and either on an offensive rebound or were just able to kind of overpower, especially when Azabuke wasn't really in there. So, I don't know that I'm necessarily too concerned. Like, they really, if, if that's your main concern, that when your big guy, who usually dominates the paint is out. They're able to make a lot of, um, you know, a lot of good shots down low and kind of overpower the rest of your guys. Yeah, that's a little bit of a concern, but I'm also not expecting Azubuke to only play 20 minutes in, in most of the games that we play. So, you know, I think a lot of that was kind of just the, you know, the foul trouble and, and not having DeSouza available yet and, and up to speed enough to be able to challenge a lot of those shots. Um, so I don't know that I'm necessarily too worried about it going forward. Obviously it was not a good thing, but I do think that was inflated a little bit by them having their own, you know, big guy in the middle that could exert his will whenever, um, Azabuke wasn't out there to stop him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's, there's lots of things they can still work on. Um, but you know, this, this kind of sets up what we were, we were thinking about, you know, we were talking, I believe it was last week about how, if, if Kansas could just go, you know, two and two in this stretch of four games from West Virginia, you know, starting with this West Virginia game with those two big games against West Virginia and then at Oklahoma coming up next week, um, that they'd be in really, really good shape 
still for the for the Big 12 title. And and obviously winning this game at West Virginia puts them kind of ahead of that pace. Um, I'm I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pivot now to that point. I mean, how do you think this sets up the Big 12 race? Were we worried, or you know, were we kind of stupid to worry about this team, or was this, I mean, just a huge surprise? Um, and and I mean, I don't think the race is over by any means, but but how do you think this this sets Kansas up going forward? Well, it's kind of funny. I do remember last week I was sitting here talking to you and said, you know, if Kansas can win their next four games, and I prefaced it by saying about 50 times, like, that's not going to happen. Right, right. And, and here they are halfway to it with uh, a home game against Baylor, who I don't think has ever won in Allen Fieldhouse, and then uh, a road game um, at Oklahoma, which obviously I, I don't think they're going to win that one, but even three and one where they're sitting at uh, six and two at the end of the, the first eight games of big 12 play. That's pretty good. Um, and obviously they, they haven't had the toughest big 12 schedule, but uh, other than West Virginia, neither has really any of the, you know, contenders um, West Virginia, actually West Virginia, Oklahoma, uh, us and Texas tech are, are three, four, five, six in terms of conference strength of schedule. So there's a lot of games against the other contenders to be played. So certainly nothing is going to be decided here at the end of this stretch. But you're right, if they are able to somehow pull off a 2-0 and week here, winning against Baylor uh, on Saturday and then winning at Norman next Tuesday, sitting at 7-1 and in the league at kind of the unofficial halfway point where you haven't played all you know nine of your first half conference games. But the the SEC Big 12 Challenge is next Saturday, so I'm going to call right. Tuesday. Tuesday is kind of going to be the the unofficial halfway point, I guess. If they can be seven and one there, I really do think that it's it's probably over at that point, just because you're putting so much pressure on the other teams to win and keep pace. And uh, again, you know, this is one of those those games, this West Virginia game, where it's a big game that Kansas doesn't necessarily have to have, but it's really important to have, and, and they go out and win it. And it just seems like they win one or two of those every year. And this year there's going to be four or five of them uh, coming up yet still. So we'll see if they can keep that magic going. But you're right. I, I think that, um, you know, at this point it's it's still too close to call. Uh, Kansas's point differential in conference games is not great, but neither is anyone else's uh, really. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, who knows? Uh, it, it's really too close to call at this point, but certainly I think you could take any one of Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and, and West Virginia, and if you told me they were going to win it, I'd probably believe you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I, I think that this year with the huge depth that, that the Big 12 has, that he makes it even um, easier, well, in a way kind of easier, because even when K – Kansas does lose a game, you know, that would normally put them in a, in a big hole, like that game against Texas Tech at home. This year, you know, Texas Tech is probably going to lose a game or two that they shouldn't. They're going to lose a game or two against these other contenders. I'm like, any of the games left between Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, I don't know that you can, you can really make any kind of definitive statement about who's going to win them. Those are all toss-up games. Because when there are so many toss-up games left, in in the season, you know, it's really really hard to imagine that somebody is going to win all of them that they need to to completely dethrone Kansas. And 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 the fact that Kansas just has to make you know, in order to extend the streak, they just have to tie with the with the other first place teams. I mean, I, I can still envision a scenario where we end the season with a four way tie at the top. I mean, these teams are really really close. You know, Tech, Texas Tech, honestly. You know they're they still have the number two defense in the in the in the in the country, which I would not have thought at this point we would be able to say that they were that good defensively. But you know they really have shown it uh, with with the last games that they have. You know and, and they don't have really a a super tough schedule coming up in the next few games. Um, you know what? Let me let me double check that before I make that a definitive statement. But um, right, so yeah, they have Texas uh, tomorrow. Uh, then they have Iowa State on Saturday, and then they have Oklahoma State before they play South Carolina in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So, um, and, and then when they come back, they have Texas again. So their next probably really challenging game is going to be at TCU on February 3rd. So you know Texas Tech is going to be able to keep pace pretty easily, I think, in this. Um, you know, and and so really, you know, it's just going to be really hard to see any of these particular teams. Uh, really putting any kind of distance. So this is going to be a fascinating race. You know, I was talking with some other people today, and I think this is the first year 
where I haven't really been able to find someone who's been able to argue. Um, you know, you, usually all the people that I know from other conferences who, who are fans of teams in other conferences are always talking about how, you know, the Big 12 isn't really as good of a conference as people seem to think and that Ken Palm's crazy for rating them the number one conference. You know, but Kansas is the only – I'm sorry – the Big 12 is the only conference that has four teams in the top 10 in, in the AP poll. Um, you know, they they consistently have guys rated. Their teams, you know, they're all in, in the top 60 except for Iowa State um, in Ken Palm. So, I mean, this is just a phenomenally deep conference. You know, everybody in this conference has good wins outside of the conference, including Iowa State. So, you know, it's really, it really just going to be a, a fascinating race, and I don't think there's anybody who can, who can honestly, objectively say that the Big 12 is not the best conference in the nation this year. Yeah, I, I agree, um, and it's kind of funny because this was kind of the year that I think everyone kind of expected it would be a little bit down compared to recent years. But just to get back to your your Texas Tech point, they're they really don't have a, a tough stretch coming up. Obviously, they just finished playing Oklahoma and West Virginia, so they're kind of due for a little break here. But holy cow, are they going to pay for it at the end with their their oh, gosh, yeah. closing stretch? Uh, and obviously, as we get closer to this, we can dig into it a little bit more, and I'll probably do a post on it as we get closer. But uh, they finish Oklahoma and then uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State, who are obviously not you know very good teams, but both on the road, which is always right. a, a little difficult. And then Kansas, West Virginia, TCU. So that's going to be a pretty crazy finish. The other thing too, I, I think, as you mentioned, with Kansas, maybe if they drop some a game to a, a lower ranked team, that the other teams are going to. One other thing that I think is going to help them, kind of in that same vein, is obviously one of the things that comes from being Kansas is when you go to Baylor. You're, you know, Baylor's used to having 12 fans at the game. When Kansas shows up, <laughs> it's 12,000 fans. But I think this year with TCU being, or uh, excuse me, Texas Tech being ranked where they are, Oklahoma being ranked where they are and having Trey Young, West Virginia being ranked where they are, even TCU has been really good. I think some of these lower-level schools and, and or lower-level teams in the standings are going to kind of fill things up uh, in the stands. And, and the, the teams, I think, are going to maybe try a little bit harder to knock off these other teams, especially when you consider that things are going to be pretty muddied at the top and you get a couple of these wins against some of these top teams and that's going to propel you either into the NCAA tournament or maybe up a seed line or two. So I think having that depth throughout the league is actually going to probably help Kansas uh, a little bit this year. Whereas for the most part, I think it's almost been more helpful in the past when they only kind of have one team to worry about. But uh, where this year, I think it's going to be the opposite where that depth is going to maybe help out and maybe some of these other teams that aren't used to being in a, a conference title race may, might falter down the stretch, whereas Kansas might just keep chugging along. So again, uh, two months left or, or a month and a half left, I guess, of Big 12 play. So plenty of time to, to dig into this and stuff, but just not not even close to having any kind of separation between the top four and, and probably won't for another month or so. Yeah, really. I mean, the only thing definitive you can say at this point is that Kansas definitely is not, you know, in really bad jeopardy of losing the streak. Um, not saying that they're definitely going to win, you know, and, and, and keep it going. But, you know, I think I think before this game, everyone was under the impression that if, if KU had lost at West Virginia, you know, unless it was like a super close, close game that uh, everyone was ready to write off Kansas and say, oh, well, they're they're really in trouble and there's just no way that they can contend with these guys. Um, you know, seeing that comeback especially kind of just kills all those narratives and so really sets this up to be what's going to be the most fascinating race, I think. Um, you know, it, it this, this race now has a little bit of everything for everyone. You know, it has the West Virginia team that has kind of played second fiddle to KU for the last few years kind of the, the up-and-comer who finally is hoping, you know, to, to, to knock KU off the throne has Kansas trying to continue to outpace everybody. It's got, you know, the star phenomenal player for, for Trey Young for, for Oklahoma trying to, you know, wheel his team to the top as well. And then it has a, a team in Texas Tech that I don't think anybody took seriously going into the year. So they're kind of that, that underdog. I mean, so you've got four compelling stories all trying to, to compete for a, a conference championship in what is undoubtedly the – the, the deepest and toughest conference in the entire nation this year. So it's just a fascinating story. You know, I, I, I listened to the, uh, the, the CBS uh, sports 
podcasts that, that that Gary Parish and and Matt Norlander do, and you know, in in in, in the past few years. They don't really talk about the Big 12 until Kansas has either sewn it up, you know, or there's a huge upset in the, in there and, and a team is looking to make a push, you know, they normally have. They've now already had like four or five episodes devoted almost solely to the Big 12 at this point, which is like completely unheard of. Usually the Big 12 being a, a Midwest conference, you know, kind of gets, gets overshadowed by the ACC because the ACC has, you know, 14 teams and usually has at least four or five really good ones. Um, that hasn't happened at all this year. You know, everyone's talking about the Big 12 because it is, it's the most compelling conference race. It looks like it's, it's by far the best conference, and it has a lot of really good teams that give you a lot of good storylines. And everybody's doing it a different way. You know, you mean you, you have a team in TCU that got Jamie Dixon home, and, and they're playing a lot better this year. And while they've fallen off a little bit, you know, I mean, they're, they're still a really good team that has a lot of potential going into March. So there's just so many fascinating storylines. We'll have plenty of stuff to talk about for the next few weeks. Um, you know, it's just, it's just going to be really, really great. So um, one, one other quick point too, that I just wanted to jump in here too, is I think we need to evaluate Kansas um, under the assumption that they're going to get Billy Preston back. I still think obviously it's been forever and I guess who knows, but I'm, I'm working under the assumption that either he's going to come back or DeSosa is going to take a step forward and, and be a big part of their rotation right? or both. And when you look at Kansas, they're almost two teams right now. They're, they're Kansas with Yudoka Azubuki on the floor and they're Kansas without Yudoka Azubuki on the floor. And with him on the floor, I think that they're the best team in the league and, and one of the best teams in the country. And without him on the floor, I think they're like a middle of the pack big 12 team, which obviously isn't bad given how good the big 12 is, but they're not going to win the league. I don't think without him playing a big part, but um, if you have Billy Preston coming in or, or Silvio DeSosa coming in and can shore up some of that uh, post defense, either uh, with rebounding or just, you know, defense in general, or even being kind of an extra guy on offense, or I mean, Mitch Lightfoot has kind of emerged a little bit here. Obviously the TCU game was huge, but he had, uh, some spurts in that West Virginia game where he played pretty well uh, as well. He's just not a great defensive rebounder, which is no slight to him. It's just kind of the way he is, obviously. So uh, getting Preston back would, would be huge, not only for for that, but because I think it would allow Azubuki to probably play a few more minutes, you know, not get tired out. Uh, they could space out his minutes a little bit more and kind of work him into more higher leverage uh, situations. So, uh, if that happens, I, I think that that's going to be a, a huge boost to Kansas, and and so I think some of the uh, some of the possession and and uh, efficiency margin stats are going to be a little bearish on Kansas, where they might rank a little bit low. But you got to realize that that's without Preston and and without a lot of Yudoka Azubuki minutes, and and realize that when he's in there, they're probably the best team and the Big 12 and, and one of the best teams in the country. So just, just something to watch on that front for if and when Preston gets cleared and if and when uh, DeSosa uh, keeps stepping up and, and becomes a bigger and bigger part of that rotation. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always kind of thought that basically what we need from Preston or, or DeSosa is to essentially become Azubuki light. You know, right right now we've got the, you know, Azubuki or no Azubuki, and if we can get it to be Azubuki or kind of Azubuki, you know, that will <laughs> – that that will kind of shore up the issues that we've been having. And instead of being a huge plus minus with him off the court, it'll be, instead it'll be a huge plus with him on the court. And then maybe a little bit of a minus, you know, with him off the court. Like if we can, instead of, you know, I think, I think at one point it was like plus 22 with him on the court and like minus 17 or something like that. Um, you know, if we can turn that into like a, you know, plus 22 and like minus one or minus two, um, we go from being a very good team that has a chance to win the league to far and away the best team in the league that has a chance to win the national title. Um, you know, I think that, I mean, I think it makes that much of a difference. And, and yeah, I, I, I agree that we have to assume that something like that um, is going to happen. We're going to see some sort of improvement from DeSosa and, and, and or Preston, um, assuming that we get Preston back. But even if it doesn't, you know, I mean, this this team has the ability to give us some really good performances in the tournament and and give us a a, a good season to remember. So, all right, before we get out of here, because we are running a little longer than I thought, um, you know, th- there's actually a chance that we may not be able to have a podcast next week. I got some stuff going on that may prevent me from 
from getting one. I'm trying to line up some sort of replacement so we can at least have something for you guys next week. But just in case, um, you know, the next four coming up for this team is Baylor or is is at home against Baylor on Saturday, then at Oklahoma on Tuesday of next week. Next Saturday um, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, playing against Texas A&M at home. Um, and then going, turning around again on a, on a quick turnaround at Kansas State for a big Monday game. Um, which one of those games jumps out at you? Um, which one are you most concerned about? Um, you know, what are you expecting to see in these next four games for the Jayhawks? I will say that the Oklahoma game jumps out at me in terms of I'm very fascinated to see how they're going to defend Trey Young. Obviously, they Oklahoma had Buddy Heald, and Kansas usually did a pretty good job on him. Trey Young is definitely a different animal because he has the ball in his hands the whole time, and you can't stop him from catching it like you can with Buddy Heald. Uh, one thing that I think they're probably going to try to do is, is turn him into a passer, which is a little dangerous because it leads the nation in assist rate, but uh, he's also had six or more turnovers in all but one of uh, their Big 12 games, so that would potentially be a way to not only shut them, well, not shut them down, but slow them down uh, on that end of the floor, but also maybe turn some of those passes into easy buckets on the other end. So that game is one that uh, is more of an opportunity than anything. Obviously, if, if you lose at Oklahoma, that's not great, but it's it's no uh, it's no killer. But if you win at Oklahoma and all of a sudden you have wins at West Virginia and at Oklahoma, that's a big step forward to to the Big Twelve uh, championship. The other one, obviously, I think just given what happened on Saturday, would be that K State game. K State usually comes out and and handles uh, the environment and and plays Kansas pretty well at home. And Kansas has at times struggled with that environment. Obviously, last year they got the big win, but it's always a struggle and. Um, who knows, maybe the the close call that they gave them in Allen Fieldhouse would uh, give them some motivation, but it's also probably, um, you know, a little bit worrying, and, and you think if they are within a point at Allen Fieldhouse, they'll probably pull out a, a win in Manhattan, which, um, given how Kansas State has been against some of the other better teams in the league, uh, that might be a, a game that they drop that uh, they won't really be able to make up uh, in terms of uh, other uh, teams losing. I mean, West Virginia has already uh, beaten them uh, in Manhattan, and then uh, you know Texas Tech has played them at home and beat them. So K-State, other than Kansas, doesn't really seem to be putting up a, a ton of fight against the better teams in the league this year. So that's important just from the standpoint of you don't want to take a loss there while everyone else goes in and wins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think – I think obviously that that Oklahoma game, I think everyone is kind of chalking that up as a loss. Although I will say, you know, Ken Ken Palm is giving them a better shot of winning that game than they did the West Virginia game. And I think part of that probably has to do with the fact that they were able to win at West Virginia, so that plays into the new the new percentages, but but even then, you know, o, o, Oklahoma definitely gives up a lot more points than a team like West Virginia typically does. So there will be opportunities for, for Kansas to, to score in that game. It's really just going to be a matter of, how you know, like, like you were saying, can they force Trey Young to try to facilitate and then, you know, get him into some, some bad passing situations or just bad turnovers. Um, but, yeah, so that's, I think, the key game. If they win that one, I think even if they were to lose at Kansas State, um, that it wouldn't, you know, that that would kind of set them up to to kind of cruise almost to to at least a share of the Big 12 title. Obviously, there's you know plenty of tough games, but but being able to get that win at West Virginia and then a win at Oklahoma, if if they're able to pull that off, that sets them up really really well for the rest of the year. Um, you know that that Texas A&M game, I, I was gonna be a little concerned about it before Texas A&M dropped as many games as they did. Um, they are still ranked number 29 in Ken Palm, so it's not like they're you know, going to be an easy team that, that, that'll just roll over, but they have had some real serious problems recently. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so. worried about that game at all. Not, not from a standpoint of, I think it'll be an easy win or anything, but just, I just don't really care about the big 12 SEC challenge. So uh, if they right. lose it, I, I guess they lose it. That wouldn't be the biggest thing in the world, but they're own five in SEC play. So it would be kind of uh, a little cause for concern. I know they've had some, some players missing and stuff, but Still would be a little cause for concern if they uh, did lose that game at home to A&M, but uh, I'm not really worried about it just from the standpoint of I would much rather lose that one than a Big 12 game. Right, right, right. I, I, and, I mean, we said the same thing about that game against Kentucky last year, and then Kansas was able to pull that off in 
in uh, Lexington, wasn't it? I believe last year. Um, well, anyway, but yeah, I mean, we basically said the same thing last year that, you know, we would much prefer if, if they're going to lose and when to lose that game. And then they went ahead and just kind of won everything around that game too. Anyway. So, um, you know, obviously good to keep the momentum going, but yeah, that's definitely the game that is kind of least important out of this next four. Um, all right. And any other thoughts about this late coming up? Uh, no. All right. Then let's go ahead. Uh, just one, one last bit of news before we jump into our sports minute for the day. Um, we, you know, it, it was announced earlier today that uh, three of KU's recruits, Dave and McCormack, Devin Dotson, and Quentin Grimes, were all named to the 2018 McDonald's All-American game. And I think it's safe to say that if Silvio D'Souza had not enrolled early, that he probably would have been named to that game as well. So, um, you know, obviously, kind of, kind of big news that they're all that, that they're all in that game. Um, any, any kind of thoughts on that or, or what that really means? I mean, I know it's kind of just a a high school all-star game, it doesn't really mean a ton, but I think having having your guys in there, and, and I believe that KU is linked to a couple other players that are not committed in that game yet either. Um, you know, it's 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 good to get that exposure, and I, I kind of think it still shows that, that Bill Self is recruiting at a top level, even given some of the issues that we've had with, with eligibility concerns or, or other issues. What, what What are your thoughts on that news? Yeah, it'll it'll be fun to to have an excuse to watch the McDonald's game. Um, obviously, hopefully that's something we're doing to pass the time while waiting for Kansas to play in the Final Four. But uh, if not, it'll be a good look at next year's group. And obviously, I do not know anything about any of the three players. I you know will will learn that all when they get to campus next fall. But um, it'll be fun to, to watch them play and fun to get kind of a first look, especially in kind of a low-key, stress-free environment where you can watch them kind of show off their athleticism and skills and stuff and see what they have to offer. And uh, There's obviously going to be other uh, high school all-star games and stuff that these guys are going to be in, so um, definitely going to be fun to, to watch them play. But, yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't really say anything, I don't think, about anything, especially – the McDonald's game kind of has the reputation of uh, if you say you're going to like a Duke or North Carolina, you're a lot more likely to make the game than a guy who's just as good or better, but is going to say an LSU or, or Texas A&M right, or somewhere right. like that. So, but it, it'll still be fun to watch. It's obviously it's a national TV. It's going to get KU uh, in the headlines and in the news, which is always great. So hopefully it just kind of keeps the uh, recruiting momentum going for next year. Exactly. All right. Any other any other final thoughts about any of the games or anything else coming up, or are we ready to get to our minute for the week? No, I think yeah, we'll uh, we'll get out of here and, and get to the minute. My uh, my voice is probably going to die, and I'll be whispering yeah. in about two minutes. So. Oh gosh. All right. Well, yep. Go ahead. What do you got for us? I'm I'm really happy I haven't squeaked yet. Um, and yeah, there there may not be a podcast if the Vikings lose the NFC title game. There won't be a podcast next week because I'll have driven <laughs> my car. I'll have driven my car into the river. So. Uh, <laughs> Like we we mentioned last week, uh, you you wanted to get to skeleton. So since we don't or may not have a podcast next week, I decided to combine the three track events all in one, which are skeleton, uh, bobsled or bobsleigh as they call it, and luge. Um, we'll start with the skeleton since that's what you wanted. That's where you go down a kind of a twisty track. I mean, if you've seen Cool Runnings, that's obviously the most famous uh, bobsled movie. Uh, probably the only bobsled movie, I guess. But right. That's probably everyone's kind of first introduction to the sport. Um, luge, bobsled, and skeleton all use the same track. So uh, skeleton is the one where you're laying on kind of a flat platform with runners, and you are facing forward, and you kind of use your shoulders to steer. Um, the uh, U.S. actually has quite the uh, skeleton tradition. They're the most decorated nation, both in terms of gold medals with three uh, and total medals uh, with eight. Um, they uh, won uh, their first, uh, the first year that Skeleton was in the Olympics, I believe, uh, which was 1928, when uh, Jack Heaton and Jenison Heaton, um, obviously, as you can tell, they were related, uh, won a, a gold uh, and a silver in the uh, Skeleton events. Um, this year, the, uh, Dukars brothers, Oscar and, uh, Tomas, uh, from Latvia are both considered, uh, kind of the, the metal favorites and, uh, the U S doesn't really have, uh, any kind of metal contender, uh, 
um, in either the men's uh, or the women's um, events. So probably going to be a lot of Latvia and then a lot of a lot of Germany in this preview. Germany is the uh, kind of the current king of the track uh, events. So uh, that's skeleton for you. Um, there's only you know one event, men and women. So doesn't really get kind of the pub that it deserves, although it looks a lot of fun. It looks terrifying, but it looks a lot of fun. Yeah, honestly, um, I think it's it's the one that kind of scares me the most, just because they're face down, head first, you know, really, really close to the ice. Um, really, the only the only kind of steering that they have is with their head and shoulders. So, it's uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's the one that looks the most dangerous, even though it probably isn't. Um, but I think that's just because it, you know, it's, it's, it's head first. Interesting fact with that, you know, originally... I've heard all kinds of different uh, theories on why it was called skeleton, but apparently it's because of the the bare bones look of the sled. You know, it's just so, it's so it's so small. It doesn't have a lot of the um, contraptions or things that you'll see on things like a bobsled or on a luge. Um, so it's not it's not because you know of the fear that they're going to break so many bones going down this. Sure, so. sure. I I would have I would have figured it would be the other one, but. Uh... Speaking of dangerous things that you can break things, the luge is the one that I think would be maybe the most uh, dangerous. That's where you're – it's basically the, the skeleton, but you're laying on your back, and you kind of have to lean forward and face up and kind of steer with your hips, which seems uh, ridiculously impossible to do. I have no idea how anyone could do that. But uh, at the Olympics, they have uh, singles and doubles uh, luge. Um, again, uh the U.S., uh, or not again, I guess. In, in this case, the U.S., not as decorated. Uh, zero gold medals all time and, and just five total. Um, Germany, again, is the uh, the kings of the luge. Actually, at the most recent uh, world championships, they took home uh, three of the, uh, or excuse me, four of the seven uh, gold medals. So uh, they're, they're definitely going to be... Uh, they're definitely going to be a force to reckon with. Uh, definitely a guarantee to win uh, the relay. Um, Aaron Hamlin actually did win a gold medal at the uh, at the Luge World Championship, so um, she has a chance uh, to take home uh, an Olympic medal. Probably an, an outside shot at gold. Uh, she won bronze in 2014, so definitely going to be in the hunt for a medal. I don't expect her to win the gold, but. I do think that she will uh, definitely have a chance uh, to win a medal, uh, which would be, again, uh, if you're talking about like the race in terms of the medal count, um, kind of these unexpected medals uh, would be huge. So uh, the favorite uh, on the men's side is some guy named Wolfgang Kindle from Austria. He won um, both the singles and the sprint event for the men. Um, but, yeah, this is one that probably won't get a ton of pub except for on the uh, late night uh, coverage just because the U.S. isn't really going to be expected to to factor into it too much. Yeah, it'll probably be the one that you'll see. You know, like if you if you have it turned on overnight and you're waking up in the middle of the night, you know, to to random coverage because somebody gets a an unexpected uh, victory or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting to see a lot of it in terms of the the highlight shows or anything like that. It's more of a this is here because hey, there's events running. It's the middle of the night. We don't have anything else to watch. Right. So, uh, yeah, bobsled, uh, speaking of, uh, well, and this is obviously, you know, from, from Cool Runnings, you guys all know what bobsled is. Right, uh, right. Speaking of events dominated uh, by Germany, uh, at the most recent uh, World Championships, Germany won uh, 10 of the 18 total medals and uh, five of the uh, seven gold medals. So they are uh, definitely uh, a powerhouse, um, actually in the four-man bobsled, which is, uh, you know, the the bigger sleds with, again, you know, four people in there. Uh, Germany, uh, their two teams, or two of their three teams, shared the gold medal. They had the same time. Uh, and then their third team won the bronze. So they're pretty ridiculous uh, in oh, sled. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the U.S. does have uh, actually a, a pretty uh, good historical bobsled um, tradition. They're second all-time in medals, uh, third all-time in gold medals. Um, Elena Myers won a gold in the uh, two women bobsled 
uh, at the most recent world championships. And then their other team won a bronze at the two women. So the men probably don't um, have a lot of hopes just because of how dominant Germany is. And, and Canada has been pretty good as well. Uh, but there's a, there's a definitely a chance that uh, the, the women's team uh, can take home a medal. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Steve Holcomb, uh, great bobsled driver, won a gold medal uh, at uh, the 2010 Olympics and then a, a bronze, two bronzes, excuse me, in 2014. And um, he was kind of expected to have his last go around, his last hurrah this Olympics, but uh, he uh, committed suicide uh, this past year, which a little bit of a downer note to end on, but, um, you know, who knows, maybe someone will, will step up and that, that'll probably get a little bit of play and especially if someone uh, takes home a medal. Um, also, uh, one final note on a, a little bit happier note uh, with the bobsled. Um, obviously, with Cool Runnings and the Jamaican bobsled team, that, that inspired an actual Jamaican bobsled team. And now for the first time at these Olympics, there's going to be a, a Jamaican women's bobsled team. So that's kind of a cool story. And, and uh, they're obviously not a medal favorite by any means. But uh, who knows? You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it, it sounds cliche, but I think it applies in the Olympics where just getting there is, is kind of a cool thing in and of itself. Yeah, and just to clarify, actually, Cool Runnings was the was five years after the Jamaican bobsled team actually. Oh, did I did I say that backwards? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's all right. Yeah. That's all right. But so this is the 30 year anniversary of the first Jamaican bobsled team uh, to 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 hit the track at the Olympics. Um, so it's like right, yeah, the, the movie, now, the yeah, the movie wasn't, yeah, I'm sorry, the movie yeah. was inspired, right, right, right. But, but yeah, now there's now there's a, a women's team, which is pretty cool. With, um, and and that's actually not the only historical bobsled news. Um, there's actually three men from Nigeria that that qualified for the Olympics in November. Um, so they are now they're the first Africans, men or women, that that are competing on an Olympic sled. So you know, there's there's lots of different historical bobsled uh, stories to happen, you know, obviously with it being the 30-year the anniversary of the men's Jamaican team, now the women's Jamaican team, and now we have our first African team as well. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty nuts that there, I mean, there's with regards to, uh, especially the women's team, but the men's team too, uh, they borrow a lot uh, of track athletes who are in the runnings for the summer teams just because you have to get that push on the sled and you obviously right. have to be able to run and, and push and stuff. So with Jamaica's, you know, sprinting culture, you would think they would have uh, have had a women's team before now, and and probably would even be a little bit better of a team than they have been, just because of how important that start is. But again, I mean, it's it's not like there's a ton of snow for them to or, or ice for them to practice on. So uh, definitely a great score, uh, story, regardless of how they finish. Yeah, exactly. All right, so yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, uh, thanks again, Fetch, for for joining me this this week. Like I said earlier, there is a, a good chance we won't have a podcast next week, or I may have to find someone to fill in for me. We'll have to see how how all that works. But um, just just in case we don't, you know, we will be keeping you guys up to date on all the news up on the site, um, up on RockChalkTalk.com. You guys can always contact us um, on Twitter at RockChalkTalk or through our email address. It's rctsbn at gmail.com. Uh, that's RockChalkTalkSBNation at gmail.com um, or you can contact me or, or fetch uh, in individually. Um, you know, we do have a lot of obviously exciting stories coming up just because of the nature of college basketball and, and Kansas being in the middle of a conference title race. But um, you know, we, we always do want your questions, want your comments, ideas, suggestions about what we can do to make this a better podcast for you. Um, you know, uh, so definitely keep those, those coming our way um you know we we will try to put out another call for questions before the next one so we can get back to your your twitter questions but feel free to send us those at any point um not even just when we call for them so um one, one once again thank thank you guys for listening and we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk talk podcast Podcast Network.